Hey guys, my name is Alex, and you're listening to the Thousand Movie Project Podcast. Listening more specifically to like a very janky Land of Broken Dolls episode, because I've been recording things on and off over the course of two weeks, but for some reason, every time I sit down to start editing it, I get this weird, intense restlessness and like a borderline despair at the sound of my own voice, and I was thinking in the beginning, that the reason I was having such a hard time putting this episode together is because it was originally a day of study type of episode. What that means is I try periodically to like avoid the news whenever there's something really dramatic going on. Over the course of my week, I stay away from it, I try to just keep to myself and get my shit done, and then on the following Sunday, I try to just designate like a four or five hour chunk of the day where I do nothing but read the news. I try to just fill myself up with a host of different ideas about different things, and even though occasionally this requires a deep dive into some pretty horrific shit, as has been the case these past two Sundays, there is also something like legitimately empowering about walking away from that day of study, when you've immersed yourself in all these different news items, all these different perspectives, and then 24 hours later, if you work at standard work week, you show up on Monday to your job, and you have a sense of the world around you, of the multitude of things that are running, of events that are running parallel to your own life. It's a healthy practice if you're good about it, and I was trying to be good about it. And so for the past two Sundays, I've been doing some very liberal reading. No pun intended, because most of it comes from The New Yorker and The New York Times and, like, foreign affairs. But I've been reading about the shit that I generally try to avoid over the course of a week because it's, like, depressing stuff. I did a deep dive into the October 7th attack on Israel from Hamas, and then the following week, I did a deep dive into, like, the fallout from the mass shooting in Maine, when I think 18 people were killed on the scene. I don't know if the people who were injured have subsequently died. But dude, it was like, a, it took me so long to like trudge my way through editing the episode about like what I'd learned about those attacks in Israel that like it suddenly it was the following Sunday. And I was like, okay, well, I guess I'll lump these things together. And so I read the news that Sunday and like it was all about that mass shooting. And then the situation in Gaza was worse in the aftermath of those attacks in Israel. And it was all just so fucking dark and dour and there and plus there were all these updates about the war in ukraine and china was like disseminating some anti-semitic rhetoric it was just a lot man it, it feels i think this is like as as biden says like an inflection point like i have a feeling a lot of cults are going to thrive over the next couple of years because it just seems like there are dark forces at work i can totally understand an otherwise rationally minded person Hearing a very charismatic person say, hey, look at how the world is falling apart. Clearly the end times are coming. Like, I bet, I bet Scientology is doing really well right now. Basically, that any group is thriving that says to a reader, hey, when you look at the world 
and you see what's going on, does it all make really crushingly horrible, immediate, urgent sense? Like, that this is the end of times? Well, guess what? That's only because you don't get it. So let me show you uh, this 13-part uh, deck in which we explain why all of these things are the making of 13 ghosts who are trapped in a volcano. But anyways, I was mired in that shit, it was slowing down the production of these things, and then I got some really, really bad personal news. I, technically personal, professional news. Do you hear that siren? Uh, anyways, it is the kind of personal, professional news that I'm not technically supposed to talk about explicitly, so I won't talk about it explicitly. Suffice to say, this is, it's a project, a project that I've been working on for two and a half years is dead. As you know, if you've listened to the podcast for a while, I, in my spare time, I build boats. I, big, I build very big boats because I love the sea. Also, I build boats out of paper, you understand. At the request of the Lord, I built a particularly big boat um, a while ago. And, um, fine, I, like, I, it was done, and then, um, someone was like, hey, let me be the captain of that boat. I think we can, you know, get a lot of people onto this boat, because a storm is coming. And I was like, fuck yeah, let's put a, a lot of people on this boat. And, uh, so we prepped the boat, like, for a year. And now that year is over, and, uh, turns out the, the meteorologists were mistaken. I'm mixing my metaphors. Turns out the storm is not coming. I recorded some whole maudlin thing about it and like just trying to wrap my head around it and I try attaching that to the episode a bit, which ended up being like entirely about a fucking genocide and then the next weekend there was another mass murder and then I was trying to tack on a little fucking segment about how the storm ain't coming from a boat and I like I made a lot of headway the episode was just about done but I was like you know what fuck this I just don't want to hear this anymore so what you're about to hear is like a little segment that I had thrown in in the middle. Like, while I was recording all these things, you know, straight backed at my desk into the proper podcast microphone, there was another thing going on at work, so I pulled out my cell phone in the apartment, and I just started riffing about it. And that now is pretty much the entirety of this episode. It's coming up right after this. Thanks uh, for listening, and here it is. If you work at a grocery store, you have to wear a name tag. This is the case at a lot of chain restaurants too, and the way that it normally works is when you are onboarded, they give you three or four or five name tags, sometimes two, sometimes just one. And in places like a restaurant where you're earning a legit amount of money and you lose a name tag, they might have something set up so that you go to the manager's office and you pay a dollar to buy one of the one of these new name tags. But I work at a grocery store where it, it's sort of this unspoken thing that nobody is really earning a living wage working at the grocery store, so they have none of those weird draconian policies where you have to pay for shit. So if a day comes that you forget your name tag, you go up to the manager's station, you say, hey, I forgot my name tag, and they give you, in exchange as a substitute, something that they call a shame tag. The shame tag is the say it's a name tag, whatever. It's it's an oval, but this one is a sticker. It's a sticker with a white bar and they give you a big pen, the cheapest they can find. And you write your name on the shame tag and you slap it to your chest and then you go about your day, your your shift wearing the shame tag. I'm very consistent with remembering my name tag and all the other things I'm supposed to bring for my shift, but yesterday was the first time in a long time 
that I had forgotten it. So I go into work and I go up to the manager station. I'm like, hey, can I have a shame tag? And the manager nods solemnly. And he says, because you refer to it as what it is, you may have a shame tag. So he gives me the shame tag, I scribble my name on it, slap it onto my chest, and then I go about my shift. And weirdly, over the course of my shift, I, I begin to feel a legit sense of shame. It's not a profound sense of shame. It's nothing Catholic, but it's a, it's self-consciousness. And I was like, why? It, it's a thing with my name on it. Why am I ashamed of this? Why am I self-conscious? Why am I like stooping over and trying to talk to people over my shoulder so that they don't see the shame tag? It was a strange feeling, but it, it made no sense at first. And then I started to like kind of investigate it, try to think about why I was feeling this way. And incidentally, I try, like I make a pointed effort of not investigating the, the, the feelings that I feel during my bag boy shift because they're probably not going to be good. Although I don't know, it would be kind of constructive. It's the kind of job that really does strip away ego. One thing I have found is like when you're working at the counter, normally we just are ringing up the groceries ourselves and bagging them. But occasionally, if, if we're a little overstaffed, there will be both a bagger and a ringer-upper, someone working the register. And in those hours when you get into conversation with the person beside you, I have found it almost always the case that when you're talking to a fellow bag person in their 20s or early 30s, they talk about their aspirations. They talk about the things that they are going to do, the kind of person that they are going to be, the profession they are going to inhabit. And if you ask them about what they do with their daily life, what their passions are, they're constantly updating you on the strides they are taking or will soon be taking in order to achieve something greater, in order to rise out of this place. But I have found that when when I'm working alongside someone who is older, because as, as I've mentioned in an earlier episode, because this is like such a community vibing grocery store, and because it gives the illusion of being low impact in terms of its demands, a lot of people, a lot of retirees work at this store. And when you speak with them over the course of a shift or 15 minutes or an hour side by side, ringing up people's groceries, if you ask them a kind of open-ended question just to get conversation going, instead of launching into a monologue or a sort of, no pun intended, grocery list of the things that they are doing in order to elevate themselves from this current situation, what I have found they tend to launch into is the past. You ask a vague question about what their impression is of X, Y, or Z, what is one arena of the store that they prefer over the other, one aspect of the job that they dislike over another, and they'll answer the question recounting to you, kind of unbidden, a story about something they did in the past, something they said, something they accomplished that dazzled the people around them. They'll recount some witty, cutting remark that they spat at a rude customer. They'll talk about the time that they worked, you know, 32 consecutive days, and they ended up getting special recognition from the CEO of the company. Or they'll talk about some momentous contribution they made to their previous job and how at their previous job in some fancy place where they where they earned you know three times as much as they're making here they were indispensable and they were the training person they taught everyone how to do every single thing and they upended the protocol they speak of their past and of their achievements in these lofty terms and the question that i always feel cannot be overtly asked is if you were so indispensable at that other place if you were so impressive at that other place if you were earning three times what you're earning here why are you here why are you not still 
at that place. Anyways, but the, the, the point I was getting into is that if you have like a long stretch of uninterrupted kind of intimate conversation with someone at this job, on the job, it often seems to me like naturally the one thing that is never discussed is the job. And I don't think it's because, you know, the job is tedious or the job is, you know, mind-numbingly simple. It's actually pretty fascinating. I have to concede that. It is, I am really impressed by the workings of a grocery store. It is a really remarkably complicated infrastructure. I think, and maybe this is total projection, I think the reason nobody talks about the job on the job is because we are all kind of in a very low-key way on that is is that is unspoken because we it's understood to be ubiquitous we're all kind of embarrassed to be there but again that might be totally projecting and as i have said although this is among the lowest paying jobs i've ever had it's definitely the best it is the most collegial it is the most enjoyable shift by shift everyone is in a good mood pretty much all the time. And if someone is clearly in a bad mood and you ask them why they're in a bad mood, they will tell you flat out, I'm hungry. Or, you know, my knee hurts. I've now worked there like 10 months and I've never asked someone what's wrong when they look upset and they tell me something like, oh, something a colleague said to them or a customer said to them or a manager or they, they tried to get this shift off but the manager forced them to come in and take it. And I think part of what makes the job so unifying and kind of like a beautiful experience is that it is, this is a place where a bunch of people are coming together to earn a living or some approximation of a living. Everyone has a side hustle or a second job. Everyone is kind of struggling. Everyone is kind of embarrassed. And there's something about that mutual struggle. Uh, nobody talks about it, but it is understood to be the case. It binds everyone together. Kind of like in high school, you have these large networks of friends and you if unless you become a lawyer or a doctor or something you're in one of those kinds of incestuous professions you're in one of those you know sprawling society-wide socially incestuous professions you never again really cultivate the kind of social network that you were able to cultivate in middle and high school and in college and the reason for that is because you no longer have a mutual oppressor with a whole network of people you are no unless you're in prison you're not locked in together for eight hours a day kind of against your will in a sprawling concrete structure with a bunch of other people your age so yeah there is that forking experience i feel like when i'm talking to colleagues who are kind of middle age and below kind of middle age and younger when you prompt them with anything they kind of wend their way toward talking about what they're going to be and then with older colleagues it tends so they, they wend their way toward talking about who they were. And both of those kinds of anecdotes, I think, are meant to sort of eclipse or discount the fact of where they are at the moment. Like, don't, don't look at me and judge me on where I am. Judge me on my future or judge me on my past. Anyways, I was wondering why am I so upset about this fucking shame tag? And I think I pinpointed it. I think it's not that I'm wearing this flimsy tag and it, it indicates that I'm negligent or something because I forgot my name tag. I think what really bothered me toward the end of the shift I started to notice is that it made me look like a rookie. It made me look like a new hire. Like I'm so fresh into the store that they haven't yet like printed me a formal plastic name tag. And the reason I came to this conclusion is because I was basking. Again, toward the end of the night, always the last hour, eight to nine is when the grocery store explodes with activity. 
and no real work, unless you're at the cash register. If you're working in the aisles, as I was, no work gets done because the aisles are too crowded. You can't navigate. And also, every, uh, this is not an exaggeration, every 10 or 15 steps, someone stops you and asks for something. They ask, is this thing in stock? When will it be in stock? Do you have this? I see that such and such section has been rearranged. Where can I find X or Y? And I was basking in this weird joy of just having the answers. There's like so many arenas of life where I feel like a total fuck up. Like in writing, I'm not totally self-assured. In podcasting, I'm not self-assured. When it comes to flipping things on eBay or Poshmark Mercari, I always feel like I'm kind of at odds with the platform. I don't really understand the rules of shipping. But when it comes, like if you come into that grocery store and you need to find lentils, bro, there's like three different aisles with lentil-related products. And I will show them all to you. Don't don't ask me what a lentil feels like when you chew it because I've never eaten one. But if you need brie cheese, if you need buffalo dip, I know where that shit is. What it brings to mind is that weird, what always felt like a wonky Joe Bidenism about um, the dignity of a job. Joe Biden used to tell the story of how his father lost his job and the reason he lost it is because he went to some work conference or some show or something and his Biden's father's employer went up on a stage and he had like a bucket full of silver dollars and or maybe it was 50 cent pieces and he told everyone to stand up from their chairs and gather in front of the stage and once all of his and once all of his employees were gathered at the foot of the stage he just chucked the bucket upward and rained silver dollars over everyone's heads and onto the floor and everyone was ecstatic and they started freaking out and jumping on the floor and scraping at the wood and trying to collect these silver dollars but biden's dad was like oh that's that's really fucked up that's you're re that's really degrading you're making us get on our hands and knees to try to scrape up dollars while you are probably earning god knows how much and so as the story goes again as the story goes, I think he walked out and was subsequently fired. And since then, Biden is always talking about how, like, you need to raise the employment rate because a job isn't just about income and security, it's about dignity. And what I think is implied there, what he never really digresses into exploring, is the fact that when people kind of don't have dignity, when people are, like, ashamed of their job, like, they start projecting that shit into other arenas of life. If you have a good job where you feel useful and where like you're getting enough money to scrape by, where people treat you with respect and they kind of bolster you and even if you're not that proud of where you are at the moment, you know, it's a place where you can talk about the person you're going to be or the great, remarkable, very accomplished person that you were. It means that you don't go home angry. And when I worked in restaurants, like pretty much every night, everybody went home either exhausted and unsmiling or unhappy. But the thing that was supposed to sort of ameliorate or counterbalance everyone's conspicuous misery is the fact that you were going home with two fistfuls of cash. But here it's different. Everyone leaves in a good mood. Everyone, it is a, it is a dignified and dignifying workplace. And obviously when they give you the shame tag, it's said in jest. And I think the reason it's like comfortably said in jest is because another thing that's ubiquitous, another thing that everybody kind of understands and nobody talks about is that we are all kind of here at a, in a kind of low social station stacking apples all day and ringing up people's groceries and kind of not having an identity earning just barely enough money to get by and in doing that we're all we're also kind of making a choice to not be ashamed about it and if we all make that choice together 
it kind of works. And then in that situation, you can make a joke about wearing a shame tag because it does otherwise, it seems like a risky thing to go up to one of our, you know, 60 year old employees, 67 year old employees and paste a paper name tag onto their chest and call it a shame tag. That seems like a volatile, risky maneuver, unless you kind of knew that you had cultivated an environment where nobody did feel shame, um, which in an environment full of people who spend their days stacking apples and bagging groceries is quite an accomplishment.